welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Every now and then, um, I just feel the weightiness of words that he gives me. And so today's one of those days, and I have a lot to share with you today. Um, I first off want to um, shore up something that uh, Cece told me this week, that she had heard the Spirit say that um, there's a hope leak. And I just wanted to pray over those that feel like that you've lost some hope recently. And let's just close our eyes for a minute. If that's just you today, everybody's eyes closed. Everybody's holding still for a moment. Everybody's eyes closed, please. If that's you today, nobody's looking around. I just feel like the Spirit of God is just breathing right now. He's hovering over hopeless places. If that's you right now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or anything. But I just really want you to spend a moment just telling him, I need you to plug that leak. It doesn't really matter where it came from. It's, it's from the enemy, but it doesn't really matter what circumstances created it over and over again. But right now, in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now, release. I release. I'm needing to figure it out. And I just ask Papa right now, you just plug that leak we just restore hope right now. We restore the ability to receive hope right now in Jesus' name. All right. Good? Yes. Um, I've already mentioned that I've entitled my message today while I wait. Um, I'm a good waiter. Uh, Christy wrote a wor- wor- word, this, wor- wor- word this week. <laughs> That was entitled the, uh, I think it was removing the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, from waiting. But I'm not going to preach on that, but it's a good word. But she's not even going to read it today. So unless while I'm talking, the Holy Spirit changes her mind. But I wanted to talk about while I wait. I feel like that this is a prophetic word today about your next season and whoever has an ear to hear today, um, Papa, I just pray over our ears to hear with supernatural ability today. I wanted to start out by reading another little snippet from our little friend that we're indulging in her goodness of writing, Charity Bowman Webb. Don't you love that name? She said, there's only one way to live in the glory of who he is. It is to embrace the fire. We're not meant to live barely flickering, but fully lit, vivid and brilliant in the wonder of God, a limitless source of limitless power. This is life's burning imperative to find more of who God is more of why he created us to walk beside him and to find the cadence of heaven. Do you know heaven has a cadence? I don't know if you know this, but God is the creator. This is his plan. You know, God's not nervous. He's creating. Sometimes it's simply about timing. And redeeming what is lost. 
waiting for the sons and daughters of God to know who they really are, to wake up. When they find out, courage is the key that opens the armory of heaven. If you have ever walked through the armory of the spirit, the weapons may have surprised you amongst the classic swords and shields. Did you happen to see the song? The paintbrush, the dancer's shoes, the surgeon's knife, the skillful spreadsheet or business strategy. Surely these are not weapons labeled value unknown. From the shelves of heaven, the creative mandate is being dusted off and returned to the earth. If you haven't got the word of the year, it's right there in that yellow binder. Everything we're doing this year comes from that word. I would, I would make yourself available to it. Its timing and purpose has arrived now, and we are about to discover roads to revelation codes to crack enemy lines and pathways to the solutions the world so desperately seeks. I feel like today that um, God really began to ask me some questions about waiting. You know, waiting in the Bible, I put a little definition up there for you, is actually to look eagerly for you know, if we don't change some of our definitions, then when God speaks creative prophetic words, we'll stick labels and stickers on them from old moves of God. Listen, I've been on the planet for almost 60 years, and I've been in a lot of moves of God. I have never walked away from God, and I've experienced prophetic gifts. I've, I've experienced apostolic things. I've experienced a lot in the Spirit, but guess what? The thing that sometimes persuades me that there's more is that I'm not seeing my life do everything Jesus said I could do. It's not what you got going on. It's what I want to do. And I can just tell you that most of what you see at One Life was birthed in my heart before some of y'all were even born. I was a little girl when worship was birthed in my heart. Over the years, I've waited to see people give Papa a chance to speak on the earth through song. Sure, we all knew all the courses. We got hymnals with all kinds of words. But see, Papa's voice needs to have a mouthpiece. And part of the character needed to carry the glory and the fire of God is forged in waiting. I'm just telling you that waiting isn't your destiny, but you will never do your destiny without learning to wait. And can I tell you that this season of waiting bursts the next season of waiting. Waiting is life. He was asking me, he said, well, what kinds of things require waiting? Birth requires waiting. 
Otherwise, you would just, seed and sperm would get together, and bam, something would pop out. That's not how it works. There's development going on. I love these two definitions he gave me. Development is the process. I think I have a slide for this too, way down at the bottom. The process of converting one thing into something else. And what does process mean? Obviously, we don't know what process means. It's a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. You know, we are so good with this in our jobs. No one arrives at their job. Has anybody had a new job lately? Anybody at all? Nobody arrived at their job and they thought, you thought the first day, I know everything there is to know about this thing. I am what you call an expert. Right? You know, I love, I've owned a remodeling construction company for 30 years and I'm still learning stuff. They still come out with new stuff. Did you know that you can just paint something on a wall and make it waterproof? It's just paint. That didn't happen back in the day. You had to do all kinds of other stuff. See, there's all kinds of new learning. You know, the, the waiting game is so important to God. I love some of the things that he says about waiting. Waiting in Psalms 25, it says, guide me. I think I have a slide for this too. Yeah. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Who's the guide? Who's the guide? Who's the guide? What are we saying to God right here? I'm not the guide. I don't know where I'm going. Have you ever driven somewhere with some people, like small children? And what are they saying as you're driving to the destination? Are we there yet? This is what we do with God. He's really not concerned with the there. You know, my mom was a smart mom. She's probably going to be listening to this soon. Shout out to my mom, being a smart mom. She would give us games to play on the way. I don't know if you know this, but God's a good, good father. He gives you all kinds of hoops to jump through while you're waiting. So you won't get caught up in how long it's taking. These hoops are fun. From a good, good father's perspective, he's preparing you for what he's prepared you for. What he's prepared for you. It's simultaneously, he's preparing you and he's got something prepared for you. I love, I think I have, a, I writ, I've written, I think I have another scripture on that. Let's see if I do. I have one about giving. Where did it go? Here it is. It's 1 Corinthians 2.9. I've got it in two versions. This is the Amplified. I love the Amplified. Things which the eye, you have an eye? Yeah. Has not seen. And the ear has not heard. So let me tell you, if you're currently experiencing it, it's not it. The waiting is for something you cannot see yet. It's a cocoon. 
That's what waiting is. It's a cocoon. Think about what do we know is housed in a cocoon. Nothing about the caterpillar looks like the end result. Think about if the, cat, if the caterpillar is sitting in there and he's got one wing. He's like, I'm good. I'm so good right now. I'm going to start gnawing my way out of this sack because it feels so binding. See, the understanding of godly waiting means I enjoy the process of protection. I so enjoy the process of him protecting me so I don't fly around with one wing. Because you, you know what? Some of y'all got out of the cocoon too early. You got bored. You got bored. You got bored. Someone was holding you back. Someone was saying, wait. And you're like, no, I'm ready now. And you've been fluttering around with that one little wing. It's pretty. And you show it off to everybody. When you arrive somewhere, you're like, look at my one little wing, baby. Look at it. I've been working on that thing for 30 years. Look at it. And everybody else is going, you got out too soon. Look at these two wings. Look, this is what you're, this is what that was supposed to do. This was supposed to create these wings, right? Eye has not seen, the ear hasn't even heard, and it has not even entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who, here's the kicker, love him. Hold him in affectionate reverence who obey him and who gratefully recognize the benefits that he has bestowed. That's the door to more right there. That's the door to more. My love for him, my obedience of him, and my gratitude. That's the door to more. That's the door to more. In the Passion it says, things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to imagine. These are the many things that God has in store for all of his lovers. So that tells me, what is it right now? What my assignment for you is right now, let's name the cocoon. I want to give you some options. I have, I sat with the Lord today, and I know most of y'all in here, and I asked him to name every one of your cocoons in here. Now, I'm not going to pick you out, although it would be way fun for me to do that. It's in the heart of a king to. So I'm going to give you some ideas of what our cocoons are named. You know, part of the Hebrew word for waiting is it's an entwinement. It's um, to tie together by twisting. You know, like a bread tie. Right? So... Waiting is your heart being entwined with someone's heart that knows you better than you. And so in the process of waiting, what do you do? You know, he, he gave me some suggestions. He said, when did the waiting become so hard? Anybody waiting on anything right now? Has anyone waited for something for more than 30 years? I've waited for something for more than 30 years. And I never quit believing it was true. That girl standing up here going, 
cockeyed crazy. She's barely 30 years old. She's half my age. She's my spiritual daughter. God told me when I was her age, 28 years old, she's a little bit older than that right now, that he would give me a spiritual daughter and a son, and he would name them Tabitha and Nathaniel. And when she came on the scene, God told me she was the promise. Now, listen, for 40 years, I went to this thing. I mean, I probably only have gone to four churches in my whole life, probably. I went to this church over here of 10,000 people, this church over here of 7,000 people. I was doing things in ministry at all those places, and God said, stop. I want you to pioneer what I put in your heart. I want you to pioneer prophetic worship. Now, y'all know the journey. If, if anybody, anybody's been here more than 10 years, we used to just, I used to just set it up there and I would just, I knew what it was supposed to sound like and I'd find something that week and I would just play it off this little box right here. I remember when Shudy would come and she would sing the song we played off the box, but she would do that thing she was doing today. Y'all remember those days? And then Nathaniel came. Now, the interesting part is Tabby almost laid down her keyboard because Nate was so good at playing the guitar. But see, there was waiting involved. See, in the waiting, something's forged. You know, that's why I love to be a pioneer. I can go be on staff somewhere. It's not the thing. It's pioneering what's the next move of God. And see, we're already in the next move of God. So guess what? There's something else coming. I'm forging with, with the Holy Spirit the next thing. There's a forging. When I die, they're going to have to carry it on. So they should take my anointing with their anointing. And they should couple it with someone else's anointing. And the anointing should continue to expand through our covenants. That's how God set it up, where no, there's no needs among them. If you have need of, of anointing, there should be no needs among us. It wasn't just whether you had to pay rent. So today, let's think for a minute. God is never, ever, God is never, ever withholding. He's always planning. So your waiting is for you. Whatever, whatever your title of your cocoon is today, trust me, there's another cocoon waiting for you. Because every season of waiting is preparing you for expansion. You need to just keep that before you. Always. Right now, I'm just a worm. And I'm just in this sack. And I cannot move. The sack barely, I barely fit in the sack. You know, I love people when they first start tasting a little bit of healing, they always want to be the boss somewhere. <laughs> Does anybody know anybody like that? They just want to be the boss. And I'm like, you are, don't want to be the boss. You don't even have any wings. You can just be a worm. I mean, that's all you can do. 
Why? Because there's a process. There's steps to everything in life. This is the plan of God. Salvation is even unfolding. Fruit is unfolding. So let's let's look at a few, shall we? I've got like 400 scriptures trying to decide if I'm going to read them all. Let me read one more. Can I read one more? This is just a foundational stage. Can I, I, let me read three more, okay? (laughs) You felt so good about the one. You know how much I love the word. Habakkuk said this, write this, write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. The vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches. Do you understand this? Your destiny aches to be revealed on the earth. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. Entwine. Do some entwining. I like to entwine myself with the vision. You know, when God began to, this is just one example of my life, but when God began to speak to me about prophetic worship, there was nobody doing it. I remember I went and we did at the uh, World Prayer Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We would sing worship in the, in the prayer center. And looking out all, all those rocky mountains and all those, what are those other ones called with the funky shapes? Red rocks, that's them. And I would think, well, this isn't it. This isn't it. Little guy, he's a little guy from Hawaii we used to do that with. And that, he's the guy that coined the phrase, your weirdness sustains me. <laughs> you know what my weirdness was? This wasn't it. This just wasn't it. I'm, I'm sorry, it just wasn't it. Because it has to be. See, you have to understand, when God said in John that he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth, he knows. He knows whether it's spirit and truth. It doesn't even matter if it sounds good. It doesn't even matter if they mixed it good. It's always from the originating point. And if I haven't developed within my waiting process this, this originating point and made it pure, I can't ascend. Who can ascend? Those with pure hands and a clean heart. Listen. Jesus made you pure. He's trying to convince you you're pure. Listen, when I come to him with all my heart and I say, I confess, I lay down all the stuff we know to do in the prayer, but my heart is really rending. I'm really rending my own heart. I'm saying, I cannot do this without you. I am nothing without you. All the good in me is you, but I want to display your glory. Then he comes in and he redeems me. But see, everything that everybody knows about me and everything I remember about me is not redeemed to me. And he has to do that in the cocoon. See, I spent years in the cocoon that you do not you did not know my name. 
in that cocoon process, I got rid of the religious belief that I can work for salvation. I got rid of belief that if I read my Bible, he loved me more. I began to read it because I love it. I begin to read it because it's my love letter. I begin to read it because I have to have it. I begin to read it because it's my instruction manual. I begin to read it because it's life. It's Jesus. Nobody had to set me up on a year's plan. Nobody had to say, let's read the Bible in a year, okay? Come on, let's sign up for the yearly plan. No, at home in my bed when nobody was watching, I was pouring out my heart over the Word. If you haven't done that yet, You haven't been in that cocoon yet. I spent three years recently not even watching any TV or movies or nothing. Just because why? I just wanted to experience more. Nobody had to call me up and say, let's fast TV. I was just like, what do you need me to do? I just want more. I just want to know your glory. I just want to have the fire of the king burn up everything in me. There's just seasons of cocooning. You can't do anything else but live in the cocoon. And the best thing you can do for yourself is discover what the cocoon is and don't get out early. There'll always be a friend that comes by. I got a knife. Let me just cut you out. You need freedom. They're holding you back over there. They don't see your gifts. I have this cool pocket knife I carry with me for just such occasions, cutting everyone out of their waiting period. We've done it to people. Oh, man. Here's a 20. Here's a 20. I don't think you're going to make it with rent this week. Here you go, baby. Here, you just take this 20. Here's 400. Guess what? They'll be back next month. Well, I didn't quite make it this month either. I love Lynn. reason why God's anointed her so much with money, with finances, with budgets, is because she don't bail anybody out. How can a person sit and hear needs of people and not bail them out? Who's been the recipient of her counsel and didn't let someone bail you out and you learned? That's a cocoon. That's a cocoon. See, because God has more than you ever dreamed. Your mind can't fathom it. Your eyes haven't seen it. No matter what, you're experiencing, some of y'all in here are experiencing extreme pleasure of God right now, favor of God right now. But there's more. I know plans of God right now for people in this room. And it's good. He hasn't even revealed it to you yet because it's good. But see, you're in a cocoon. Wait. It's aching. It can hardly wait. It's aching. But you, you have to wait. 
You have to entwine. You have to say, I am so expecting it. I am expecting it. It can be a suddenly for me. It can pop forth any time. I am going to wait. I am going to do the kingdom way. I am going to wait. I'm going to entwine myself with the promise over my life. I'm going to entwine myself with him. I'm going to wait. See, let me tell you one benefit of waiting. Then when someone comes and plays, they're so humble, they don't want a position. I spend more time trying to convince her of who she is. We went through a whole season where I said, it's him on you. She's like, well, I shouldn't play the piano. Maybe let's pray for a pianist. We went through that season for a while. (laughs) See, when you come out of the cocoon, You don't even want to be anybody. That thing you thought you had to have, he'll end up having to convince you to take it. Listen, if I can make it on my own, it's probably not him. Some of y'all have done stuff when you were teenagers and you thought this is going to be my ticket. It's going to be my ticket. And it wasn't him. So you spent years trying to lay down something. You never even went through a cocoon to get. Somebody else just handed it to you. See, the things and the anointing of God is forged in the waiting. I'm just telling you. There just comes a day where you're so hungry to be changed, you would do whatever to just walk in His power. If that meant waiting, that meant waiting. That meant being on your face. That meant being on your face. That means scrapping every living thing you've ever thought about God. It means scrapping it off the table. If that meant being low, if that meant coming to somebody that you knew that would give you a position and say, I can't do it, whatever it takes. These are the things God showed me today. I have 27 but I'm only going to give you, I, I did the work on six of these. So you have to do the work on the rest. Is that fair? I'm not saying these are in any specific order. But this first one feels pretty important to me. It's obedience. He gave me these scriptures. It's Luke 6, 46. I'm going to read these in the Passion, I think. I could read them to you in the Amplified. I love the Amplified too, you know. What good does it do? For you to say, I am your Lord and Master, if what I teach you is not put into practice. Let me describe the one who truly follows me and does what I say. He is like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. You don't have to raise your hand, but who knows you're in the cocoon of obedience. Who knows? It's still hard to obey. The other scripture he gave me is First Peter. Is, As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. He said, you are to be holy because I'm holy. If that feels like a stretch, you're in that cocoon. Stay 
in the cocoon till you know how to be holy. Stay in the cocoon until obedience is a joy. How, when obedience feels like, oh my gosh, he's got me covered. It's a privilege that I get to do what he asks. When you've been in the cocoon of obedience, a lot of things become small. Now, religion loves to take obedience and make a bunch of rules of what you can wear, all outward stuff. Let me just help you. What you can wear, how long you have to pray, how you have to pray, how, how you have to carry yourself. You need to get instruction manuals on the clothes you wear. See, if I'm holy, I know what to wear. You are never going to arrive at my house and make sure that I am dressed modestly. I don't dress nakedly when I'm home by myself. I don't need instructions to not speed. Oh, I don't need a manual of how to live life because in the forging of obedience, my heart got written on. And see, if I don't know the word, it's not written on. You can't let me quote the scripture for you and then not get planted in here. You won't remember it. You're not home reading the Bible so God will love you. You're home trying to figure out how to live. Why has it sustained the test of time for forever? Because it's still true. Every answer you will ever need in life is in it. Every answer. Every answer. Every answer. The second one I got from a little improv that Cece sang on Wednesday night. I didn't let them do worship, you know, I restrained them. And she was singing about new surrenders. You know, surrender is not even in the Bible. Oh no, you just almost had a conniption right there, didn't you? Didn't you? I I like this. I surrender, I, I think I got this from somebody. Surrender is woven into the person of God as a trinity of love. The son submits to the father. The father seeks to honor the son. The spirit points back to the father and the son. The father and the son send the spirit as their representatives. True true surrender isn't a response to defeat. It's a response to love. See, when I have been in the cocoon of love, everything in me is reduced to loving like Him. I can't even seek my own. My own is stinky to me. My motives when, I, when I'm like, you know, I'm at church and I'm doing stuff for people. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm faithful. And I did all that for, they, for them to go, way to go. I noticed you were on time. I noticed you were here. I did that for me. See, in the surrender place, there's love there. It's enticing me. Are you with me today? It's enticing me to love more. And so what am I surrendering? Everything that doesn't protect love. 
What about selfishness? Not love. What about seeking my own? Not love. What about people pleasing? Not love. What about being a rescuer? Not love. Listen, we can't stick labels on things and say it's love. Love, the, the, the fullness of love is 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just, you don't get to pick one thing. Well, today, I didn't seek my own. No, it's all of that every day. If you're, if you're a king, you would seek that out. That's love. God is love. That's love. In the cocoon of surrender, I love this. I got a couple of scriptures, Romans 12. What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourself. This isn't the passion. I use another word in all the other versions. Surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifice. So think about that. He didn't say he wanted you to die. What does sacred mean? Let's just go with really special. Living. Sacrifice. What can you do with a sacrifice? There isn't anything about you that needs it to be about you. Surely some of y'all in here have gotten to the point where you can do a few things that aren't about you. What does that feel like? It feels like freedom. Everything that you do, even at church, even at work, that's for you, you get to reward yourself. Go get you an Andes. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get me an Andes. That'll be my reward. See, but Jesus is coming back in Revelation. It says he's coming back on his white horse and his reward is in his hand for those who have done the works of Jesus. I don't get to make up what that is. I don't get to do my own works, call it Jesus' works, and wait for my reward. Not my plan, not your plan, his plan. When I was reading this, he made me think about, he made me think about, that's a funny way to say it, but anyway, he brought to my memory. How's that? That's even better. About, you know, whenever Jesus brought the disciples in and, and they had their communion together right um and what was interesting is that right after that jesus said this it's in uh, i didn't write down the verse uh the verse it's i mean the chapter but he said you will all fall away and it made me think why did he say that i propose it was an invitation to a place that wasn't surrendered You know the easiest place to surrender is after you fell. Did you rip your britches this year, this week? This year? That's a real, that's a quick humbling spot, isn't it? See, Jesus didn't force them to deny him. Right? So he's saying today, if you're not fully surrendered, when pressure comes, you're going to choose an old system. You're going to deny him over your own comfort, over your own saving face, over your own reputation. Just beware 
You better stay in the cocoon. This is what he's saying. You better stay in the cocoon of surrender long enough for all the other choices to be gone. Let's go back to prophetic worship. Is every single note we hit prophetic? Only one has the answer. He's a small young boy over here. Yes. Every note is prophetic. In the heart of a child, see, they know. We're like, oh, I don't know. Let me think about it. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, it couldn't be possible, could it? Because we're just human beings. It couldn't all be prophetic. I mean, when they're up there, surely they miss it every now and then. (laughs) It's not about hitting a note. It's about the origin of the heart. Surrender, I'll say like this, purity is forged through surrender. The only thing that needs to be surrendered is what's not pure. But then when it's refined, it's meant to be on display. It's meant to be on display. We're in a cocoon. One life's in a cocoon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now it's going to be too much for you. Another thing that he's doing is he's reshaping our thinking. The reshaping of thinking. Who did that PowerPoint anyway, Lynn? He, this, it's the cocoon. <laughs> it's a funny joke. He's reshaping it. Now we can call this renewed mind, all this. But listen, you cannot change your own heart, but you can change your mind. And if you will change your mind, BJ said this, if you will change your mind, let me tell you how you change your mind. So, Bill Johnson, y'all know how much I love him. I remember 20 years ago, or however long ago it was, when he said that all sickness is of the devil. I use that one a lot. But other things that he said rubbed me similarly. How did it rub me? I don't know if I believe that. My religious training says God uses sickness for training. But then he made this strange statement. If God put sickness on people, he would be working against Jesus' work on the cross. That was enough for me. Now, was I able to get my whole self around that corner that day? No. When I hear sickness now, I, I have to check myself. I have to say, that's of the devil. I, have to, I just keep having to say it because I, it was so steeped. Anybody raised in religion know what I'm talking about at all? And see, that that's what happens is that when he's changing my mind... It's because my mind needed to be changed. (laughs) If there was something good in my mind, he would use it. Every good and perfect gift, he would use it for his kingdom. He would expand it. He would cause it to prosper. He would give it favor. He would fund it. It would work. (laughs) The greatest gift you can give yourself is if Jesus said, I can have it and it's not happening, I need to change something. Instead of saying, well, I guess I'm not called to that. I guess that's for the holy man. And he's the only one that can pray for anyone. He's the only one that can give anybody an encounter. All so I don't have to seek out something more. All so I don't have to change something for myself. I'm telling you, the things of our experiences... 
highlight what's in our hearts and our thinking that need to be changed. Now, see, what some of us do, especially religious people, we try, how many came from religion? Great. We tried to change our own heart. Like this. <laughs> we, we just pressed in. We, some of us, if you're an extrovert, you got loud because it felt more holy. It felt closer to God. It felt like it would do something in us. But see, religion never works. See, God's heart has always been from way back when he plucked the children of Israel. He wanted to write on their hearts. You know, he reminded me of two stories this week about this. One was David. And I tell this story a lot. So for those, just let me repeat a little bit of it. But it says in 1 Samuel that in the spring, when kings were supposed to go to war, David stayed home and he watched a naked lady off the edge of the cliff. That's what he did. And when he was supposed to be at war. And all of a sudden, he needed her. That's all that happened. He was supposed to be at war fighting something. Now you would have thought... David, a man after God's own heart. You would have thought he would have known because he, he went through a whole lot of other steps. She got pregnant. He found out who his, her husband was. He tried to, 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 to just kind of hoodwink something. He's like, okay, maybe I'll bring the guy back from the war. The guy was so loyal. He's like, no, I can't lay with my wife because I'm just a loyal soldier and we're out, we're at war right now because that's where kings are supposed to be. And you remember what happened? Had the baby, killed the man, got married. It's a quick story. And then he's just hanging out at the palace one day and God says to the prophet, Man, don't you not want it? This makes you want to be a prophet, doesn't it? <laughs> he went to him and he told him this story. There was this guy and he had tons of sheep. And there's a guy who just had one sheep. And the guy that had tons of sheep took the guy's one sheep and killed the guy with the one sheep. And David said, I'll kill him. And Nathan said, you're the man. You got to let God say, you're the man. Now, in the old covenant, recompense had to be made. In the new covenant, I rend my heart. When the Holy Spirit comes and says, you're the man. You're the woman. You're the one. With a stinky attitude. You're the one who used people for your own benefit. And you didn't even know it. And let me tell you, this is the fruit of someone who uses people for their own benefit. And you want to be in. I stay in that cocoon all the time. I just don't get out. It's a cocoon of surrender. You just got to stay. There's always something in your heart that needs surrender. The other story he told me about was Mary and Martha. It used to be my favorite story. Because I liked, I, I, I didn't get it until this week. 
And he told me to read the story again. So in the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus comes to town and he doesn't come very often. And he comes to town and, you know, back in the day, the women did what? Everything. I mean, the women, sorry. No, 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 no. We, they, were, they were making him a meal, right? And so what happened was, is that Jesus got to talking. Have you ever been around anybody that you just, you just wanted them to talk? You don't even really know or need them to say anything. You don't even have any questions, really. You just, you just want to see words coming out. That was Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? And he was just talking. Well, see, Jesus didn't correct Martha because Martha said, Mary's not helping me. He corrected Martha because Martha was unaware of what Mary needed. How often? It happened to some people in this room this week. Somebody came and said, the Holy Spirit showed me something and somebody said, not right now. That's that story. You have got to become so aware not only of your own need, but of the needs that you actually give room for people. He said, I'm not going to take from her what she needs so desperately that you're so unaware of. Can you not just get the chicken? Just go get the chicken. Don't worry about what Mary's doing. See, when our hearts become so self-absorbed, we could actually hinder somebody from getting what they need when you don't even understand what's going on with them at all. In that place of surrender, you are not looking around. If you are the chicken getter, you just get the chicken. If you are, if you are the setter at the feeder, you just sit at the feet. You're not checking on who's doing what do you understand for the kingdom to move forward we cannot compare i don't get to sit around and go i'm gonna be the big tattletale to jesus jesus is seeing the whole thing what's the point you gotta stay in the cocoon Philippians 4 on this one is keep your thoughts. I'm, I'm sort of on thinking, but I'm really on surrender too, aren't I? So keep, <laughs> keep your thoughts. You can see how they intertwine. Keep your thoughts continually fixed. How many are able, don't raise your hands because I already know the answer, but how many are able to keep your thoughts fixed? This is not a personality problem. This is a human problem. If you see someone who can focus, it's because they train themselves to focus. What baby comes to the planet? Anybody ever had a baby? Anybody? Anybody had children? Didn't they come to the planet? They were so focused on math. Did you see how attentive they were at six months old? They were like, no, they're like rubbernecking around. I mean, they don't even know anything that's going on. Right? Remember when you first, did anybody teach your children to drive? Remember how they were like, hey, you know, you're like, watch the road. <laughs> I mean, like, there's no rubbernecking in the car. I mean, it's a rule. 
And then, right? Do you remember your parents saying that to you? Watch the road. I remember my dad said, watch the speedometer. So I did. And then, and then we begin to veer off and he said, what are you doing? I was like, watching the speedometer. So, do you see, we are trained. We have to train ourselves. That's how our, the shaping of our minds occurs. I see something and I have to discern whether that's something I want to behold a long time. Because I become like what I look at the most. You know, and believe me, right now, the world is a buffet of viewing. Disney's get, sneaking it in there. Well, I've known that for 40 years. Where's everybody else been? I'm like, they've been sneaking it in there for 40 years. Music, that's been going on since before time. Before you could put it on Apple Music, it's been going on. If we have no discernment and we have sucked ourselves into the culture of who? Lou. He's so good at it because he used to be the worshiper of heaven. Think about entertainment from his perspective. I don't have time to preach on that. Okay, I only have, let me look. I just have two more real quick. I have 27, but alignment with, I'm good. Alignment with being God-fearing, not man-pleasing. Proverbs 1 says this. Here are kingdom revelations, words to live by, words of wisdom given to empower you to reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign in life. Within these sayings will be found the revelation of wisdom and the impartation of spiritual understanding. Use them as keys. This is Proverbs 1. If you want some wisdom, read Proverbs every day for a year. This is the first verse of the first chapter. Use them as keys to unlock the treasures of true knowledge. We're using keys to unlock all kinds of knowledge. We get so addicted to information that has nothing to do with the kingdom. And who are you going to share that with? That means I've unlocked a treasure of some worldly conversation with a worldly person about something worldly they're doing. I, they're not looking for that. They already know that. I want to give them the secrets of their heart that when they're laying at bed in bed at 3 o'clock at night and they cannot sleep and they have no peace because you cannot buy peace, then I say, this is what God says and this is what I see in your heart. And that's why we go out on Friday nights. You've got to practice. Bunch of chicken butts, get out there. (laughs) Those who cling to these words will receive discipline to demonstrate wisdom. What does that tell you right there? Now, we are in religion, we're like, God said, just ask for wisdom and you get it. No, there's a discipline of wisdom. Remember what discipline is. Why did it get such a bad name? It's so weird. Like immediately when we think of discipline, we think of stuff we can't do. No, it's about learning to do the stuff with the stuff. If I have wisdom, I need to learn how to wield wisdom. Okay, y'all can read the rest of that verse, right? All the way down to four. The other thing I wanted to read was Proverbs 1, 7. 
It says, how then does a man gain the essence of wisdom? We cross the threshold of true knowledge when we live in obedient devotion to God. Stubborn know-it-alls will never stop to do this. Have you stopped to be in the cocoon of alignment with God-fearing? The fear and awe and reverence of God. Another cocoon that will go on and on and on. You'll experience a depth of his glory, a depth of his awe, a depth of, and then he'll be like that thing I read. There'll be another pool down there that you didn't even know existed. And where has that been all my life? Well, look at all those colors. I didn't even know. I love this. It says that a lot of translations read this fear of the Lord, but Brian Simmons says it also implies submission, awe, worship, and reverence. That word in Hebrew is found 14 times. The number 14 represents spiritual perfection. Do you love that? You will pass from darkness to wisdom's light by the fear of the Lord. The last one I want to share today, I have more, is healing of past wounds. Remember that I have to let go of every wound. How many have been, you don't have to raise your hand, how many have been wounded? Everyone on the planet. Hebrews 12, 1 in the Passion says, we have all of these great witnesses encircling us, so we must let go of every wound that pierced us. That was the enemy's attempt to pierce you in the heart of your destiny. It brought pain, probably offense, probably got some unforgiveness there. That wound you've got to go after because guess what? You'll shape your whole life around the wound. And you'll get people. I've had people even that come here and they something happened to them when they were a child. Maybe someone pointed at them wrong and they're like, don't ever point at me again. How can you stop the world from pointing? It's impossible. So you have to heal and let go because this is why. Then you'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination because the path has already been marked out for us. So that tells me when I'm wounded, everybody's been wounded. It's not a thing. I've, I've spent, I have spent my life helping abuse women. So it's not everyone's had it. And I have tons of compassion, and most of y'all know that I do. But at the end of the day, I said this to several people here say, even if there were those people lined up and there were 500 of them, at some point in your life, you'll have to be able to say, I let them go to do my destiny. I let them go, and this is who I'm going to be. Come on, Mendel. Straight fire, right? I can't think of a better word for that. Straight fire. Wow, and I can't tell you, the Holy Spirit is all over this message today and has been. I mean, he's been pinging things for me from the time we started warming up in worship today, this whole day, reminding me of dreams I had earlier this week, just ping, ping, ping. Like, I love to come and share all the things he's pinged, but I think it, it would be impossible for me to share all of them with you today because there's so many, so many, and some I still haven't even unwrapped. But, but I know he's been on this, and um, 
you know, the incredible thing about God is that he doesn't ask us to do anything without providing everything that we need to do it. So all this, um, Tisa shared an incredible message today about the importance of waiting and why we want to value waiting, why we want to participate with waiting, why we want to surrender, all of those things. Um, but the, the, real, the truth is, is that our wanting to do it isn't even enough to make us stay in waiting. Our agreement with it isn't even enough. But God has provided everything that we need to stay in the waiting. And the one thing that I, one of the things that I heard when in my time with him this week, and as I was just reading scripture, he keeps bringing it back to my mind about, um, in First Peter, I had been reading about how um, our salvation gives us this living hope that energizes. And I was, that just kept going over in my, over and over in my mind. And then I was, would experience things that come along with the waiting that I'm in in my life. And I'm like, I'm, I've got a hope leak. She referenced it. I feel like there's a leak in this hope because, because Peter even says it's the very first gift that you get. Before even emphasizing eternal life in heaven, we get this living hope that energizes. Okay, so if I'm experiencing waiting and I'm in agreement with the benefits of waiting and I'm in agreement with God's purpose in waiting, but I'm struggling in the waiting, that means I'm not accessing something, I'm not receiving something that he's already provided that will help me in the waiting. And so this hope, I felt like he was really emphasizing that, that this living hope that energizes is supposed to be our, um, an anchor for us and something that empowers us in the waiting. But if you have a hope leak, then that means you're disconnected in some way from receiving what God has already provided. And so I have a few different things to share with you. Um, one, I have several words. I've just picked out some snippets of different words um, from this past week as I was processing this with him. But um, I was talking to him about that. I said, but you said there was a living hope that energizes. And so I'm asking you for an increase. I feel a lack of hope, so I'm just going to come to you and ask you for an increase in my hope. I recognize that I'm lacking and I need more, so I'm just going to ask him. And he said that access was needed for increase. Okay, that's one snippet I'm going to pull out. Pull out access is needed for increase. And then later on, as I was continuing to process with him, I was trying to lean on the promises of God to, to give me that hope, right? And he he said this statement, I provided the sacrifice for Abraham. I provided the sacrifice for Abraham. So I was thinking, what is this? What is the story of Abraham and the sacrifice that was provided for him? Abraham had been promised all of these descendants, right? But here his one son, he was asked to sacrifice. He was asked to put on the altar and sacrifice. And so in that moment, I could see this was relating to us in our life now that um, we've received promises that aren't fulfilled yet, and we're waiting on the promises, right? Well, then things happen in life that appear to have stolen from the promise. That creates an incredible tension in the waiting. It appears to have stolen from the very promise of God, which is a blow to our confidence in him. It's a blow in our trust, right? It's a, it, it steals from us uh, that hope. So, but he said, 
okay, that he provided the sacrifice. And so I thought, okay, this is the perfect picture that Abraham was promised a son and many descendants. Now he finally has a son and now he's, he's been told to kill the son, right? And so it would certainly be an example of something being stolen from the promise. His son was about to just be stolen out from under the promise that he'd been standing on for so long. But God said, I provided the sacrifice for Abraham. And so I've been, I've been um, chewing on that and thinking back on that for several days now. That brings me to Wednesday of this past week, as Tisa mentioned, when we were doing worship uh, warm-up, pre-service worship, um, I started singing and hearing this improv that said, um, stir my heart like you stir the waters. I want to taste a new surrender. Stir my heart like you stir the waters. I want to taste a new surrender. So it felt really powerful, and I was, I was listening to that again, and I was asking him, what are you saying in that? I could just hear him in that, and I, could, I knew there was something in that. And so I was just pressing into that, and I started seeing this picture of a sunken ship under some calm waters. And I wrote a word about it, a little poem, and I said, Papa, I have a wound I cannot see. See, I knew there was something in me that was causing a leak in my hope. I had a, there's something that hasn't been healed yet. There's something that hasn't felt his comfort. There was something that was causing the, the hope that he, that came with salvation to not be built up in me, to not be something I could feel. And so I knew there must be a wound there, but I couldn't see it. So I said, I have a wound I cannot see buried somewhere in the deep, a shipwreck in some distant sea. What hope did it carry before its fate? What truth? Does this cargo remain still today? I wonder what missing piece lie there in the deep. Calm waters have long since covered this buried treasure, and I've been hesitant to stir its semblance of peace, but I sense you're calling me to the deep. So come and stir my heart like you stir the waters. I want to taste a new surrender. Stir my heart like you stir the waters. I want to taste a new surrender. So I knew that Papa had been talking to us, you know, about remaking our process, our our how we need. And he's been talking to us about receiving comfort from him on a greater level and about going deeper into some of these, these places where we've covered up these wounds sometimes. We've just decided, you know what, I dealt with that. That's good. I don't really need you to speak to me anymore. But there's something in a treasure buried in that place often. And when we notice, again, when we notice there's a hope leak, there's a good chance it's something like that that we've got, we've allowed the waters to get real still and calm, calm over them. But he was saying, no, there's something there that will be worth you stirring up the waters. Let me stir up the waters of your own heart and those places that you've, you've kind of closed off and said, no, we're good. We're good. I don't want to go there anymore. You know? So I real I was just so moved by this and I was pressing into still Papa, what is, 
what does it mean for you to stir the waters? Like what specifically are you referencing? I thought about the pool of Bethesda, you know, where the people would try to jump in after the angel stirred the waters, but that was an angel that stirred the waters. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't God, you know, and, and directly. And so I, I, asked him about that, and he brought me to the story of John 6 in the Passion Translation, and I had an entire prophetic message from him reading the scripture, and I want to share the highlights with you, and then the it, it concluded with a, a word of encouragement from him, but I want you to picture yourself in this scripture, okay, with, what, with the topic today. So chapter 6 in John, After this, Jesus went to the other side of Lake Tiberias, which is also known as Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd of people followed him everywhere. They were attracted by his miracles and the healings they watched him perform. Jesus went up the slope of a hill and sat down with his disciples. Now it was approaching the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover. Do you guys recognize that we are in the season of Passover right now? This is a prophetic message for right now, okay? This is the time of Passover right now. And there were many pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem in the crowd. As Jesus sat down, he looked out and saw the massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned to Philip and said, where will we buy enough food to feed all of these people? Now Jesus already knew what he was about to do. But he said this to stretch Philip's faith. So let me pose this question. What question is Jesus posing to us today to stretch and activate our faith? What question is he asking you that he already knows what he's going to do? I already know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to pose this question to you. I'm going to present a problem to you. I'm going to present a lack or a need or something that's going to become, you're going to become aware of a question, but he already knows what he's going to do in our waiting. He already knows what he's going to do, but he's asking us, could you be in the tension of not knowing? Could you be in the tension of facing the question that you don't have the answer to yet? Sometimes the presentation of an unsolved problem we look at as an opportunity for fear. It makes us scared because we don't have the answer. It's really meant to be an opportunity for him to activate our faith. Verse 7, Philip answered, Well, I suppose if we were to give everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. But just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Look, here's a young person young person, childlike, childlike mindset, right? Childlike heart with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with this huge crowd? Do you think you could consider that a childlike attitude could be the needed ingredients for the miracle Jesus wants to perform in your life and in those questions that he just brought to your attention? Being childlike, a young person had the ingredients that Jesus worked with to do a miracle. He said, have everybody sit down, a place of humility, sit down, be still, be still, sit down. (laughs) Have everyone sit down, Jesus said to the disciples. So on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. Jesus then took the barley loaves and fish and gave thanks to God. He then gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. 
Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. Jesus gave the ingredients for the miracle to the disciples to distribute. Side note, right? That's us. He's given us the ingredients for the miracle. We, it's up to us to distribute it to the people. When everyone was satisfied, everyone was satisfied. We sang the Wednesday night too about how he satisfies. Jesus told his disciples, now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. He wastes nothing in our lives. He wastes nothing in our waiting. Nothing goes to waste. The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. All the people were astounded as they saw with their own eyes the incredible miracle Jesus had performed. They began to say among themselves, he really is the one. The true prophet, prophet we've been expecting. He really is the one. They were convinced, right? He's really the one. We were hoping it was him. I've seen with my own eyes what he's done. It's really him. He's really the one, right? Jesus wants to convince you of something when he does a miracle in your life. When he moves, he's convincing you of his nature. So we can expect in our waiting season, he's in the process of convincing us of something. So Jesus, knowing that they were about to take him and make him their king by force, quickly left and went up the mountainside alone. After waiting, waiting until evening for Jesus to return, the disciples went down to the lake. But as darkness fell, he still hadn't returned. So the disciples got into a boat and headed across the lake to Lake Capernaum. So we've got a period of waiting, right? The disciples just experienced a miracle, participated in a miracle. They were convinced by this miracle. He's the one true God. And but now they're in a season of waiting because there's a separation they felt, right? They're in a Jesus went away by himself. They're in one place, he's somewhere else. So they're waiting. But he still hasn't come back, and darkness fell. Darkness fell. I wrote this, Jesus had just demonstrated his miracle performing power in a convincing way. The people were convinced that he was the one true God. Jesus went off by himself, so the disciples felt a separation from him. They waited. They were still waiting when the darkness fell. Does this speak to anybody right now when they see what's going on in the world? Do you see darkness falling? There's darkness falling. Or in your own personal situation, things may seem like they're not going in the right direction. It may look like Darkness is falling, and you're waiting. You're waiting for Jesus, and darkness is falling. That's how it feels sometimes. That is, you know, I like to tell the truth, be real, real practical. It can feel like sometimes that's all I can see sometimes in the waiting. Darkness is falling. I've been waiting, but he's not here yet. It hasn't happened yet. I'm Darkness fell while they were waiting. Now notice the disciples then got in a boat and they headed to the other side of the lake. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying they decided to do something different. They decided to be open to shifting their position. Okay? They decided to get into that position of a boat to have their mindset shifted 
to go to the other side of something they'd been thinking. I even felt like it was symbolic that they went out on the water. They decided to go somewhere flowing with the Holy Spirit, you know, supported by the Holy Spirit. The water represents the Holy Spirit. And then they were crossing over to Capernaum, which means the village of Nahum, which means the village of comfort. Comfort. Again, the Holy Spirit has been talking to us about receive, positioning ourselves to receive more comfort from him, right? He's emphasized that every place that we aren't receiving comfort from him, we are operating in our own ways and our own strength. If you're not, if you have an injury, which we all do, if you have a leaky, a leaky place of hope and you're not letting him talk to that space, that place, him give you comfort in that place, that means you are operating independent of him in your own strength in that place. Every place that you are operating in your own strength, this is a reference to another word from last week, I think, then we walk as lions instead of lambs. Remember, he asked us to know we have the authority and the power of a lion in a lamb's body, which is what Jesus did. He came as the lamb. We can only be the sacrifice he needs us to be, just like Jesus was the sacrifice we needed him to be then. We can only be the sacrifice the body of Christ needs, the world needs right now as lambs, which means we've got to be comforted by him, not ourselves. So they were crossing over to the village of comfort, okay? I propose that maybe they were crossing over to a place of true comfort rather than the subpar comfort of a religious theology. So now, verse 18, by now a strong wind began to blow and was stirring up the waters. It's our connecting point. Stir my heart like you stir the waters, right? This was it. This is why he led me to this verse. Now, it was interesting, though, because it says, by now a strong wind began to blow and was stirring up the waters. Well, the night before I had this encounter with him, I had read a prophetic word from, that the Elijah list sent out by Jody Hughes. And I can post the link or we can send that out later so you can read it yourself. It was an incredible word about an encounter she had about um, people having a lost hope. And in the store, in her encounter, she basically went to heaven and was in the library of heaven. And she saw Jesus walk in and open up a big book. And the book was titled, was titled, The Promises the People Thought I Forgot. That's what happens, isn't it? When we're in waiting sometimes, we think maybe God forgot about this promise, right? This book was titled, The Promises the People Thought I Forgot. She watched as Jesus opened the pages, and on each page it said, He who promises is faithful. He who promises is faithful is the only thing written on the page. Now, about that time, a wind started to pick up, and it grew and grew in power until it had this accelerating force, and it was blowing across the book, and it was making the pages shift, like, really fast. A strong wind blew across this book, okay? I had just read this the night before. It, and it, she said that she knew in, the, in her encounter that this represented an acceleration of God's purposes and promises fulfilled to the people of God. That the winds of change, God's winds of change are blowing 
right now to bring about an acceleration to God's purposes and his fulfilled promises. She said the same scene repeated with a different book titled The Promises That Have Been Highly Contended. Okay. Sometimes it's not about us losing faith, but we're like, man, the enemy's throwing everything in the world at my promise, you know? It's been so contested. Same thing happened. Every page, he who promises is faithful. And the strong wind came and blew across the pages and made them just fly by. An acceleration of God's purposes. So I want to propose to you this strong wind that blew caused a stirring up of the waters. And if you know the story, it scared them, right? They called that a storm. They called that a storm. They didn't call that, oh, I feel the acceleration of God's promises, (laughs) right? (laughs) They were like, oh, no, this is a storm. This is trouble, right? They don't feel like, oh, the winds of change. No, they weren't saying that. So something that felt chaotic, that felt like a struggle, it felt like a battle. Winds of change. Could it be that that's what we're feeling? Could it be that that's what we're feeling? It's the winds of change to remind us to blow across that one statement. He who promises is faithful. So back to the, to the, to John verse 19, the disciples had rowed about halfway across the lake when all of a sudden they caught sight of Jesus walking on top of the waves coming towards them. The disciples panicked, but Jesus called out to them, don't be afraid. You know who I am. Don't be afraid. You know who I am. But what stood out to me is it says they rowed about halfway across the lake, halfway. And the Holy Spirit said, perhaps they'd gone as far as they could in their own strength, in the changing of their mind, in the shifting of their position with the Holy Spirit. They decided to cross to the other side of the lake, right? The other side, the other side of wherever you were. Maybe they'd gone just as far as they could on their own strength, and Jesus wanted to meet them on their way and provide his grace, his presence for the rest of the journey. And this was in the midst of the strong winds that they perceived as a storm, a struggle, a battle. Jesus came to be with them. And he said, don't be afraid. You know who I am. Verse 21, they were relieved to take him in. And the moment Jesus stepped into the boat, they were instantly transported to the other side. They were relieved to take him in. Notice this, to take him in. It didn't say the moment he he boarded the boat, the moment he stepped into the boat while they panicked. They said they took him in. Other um, versions of the scripture, um, other translations use the word received him. It was a reception on their part. They, they took him into the boat. I wrote that relief from the torment of fear, that fear that tries to come in when you're waiting and tries to tell you your promises have been forgotten and all of that, that fear that comes in when you start shifting your vision to what all the enemy is doing to contest your promise, 
that fear, the relief from that torment comes when we remember who we know. When we remember who is with with us, when we remember that our history with him told a true story about him. Remember, the disciples had just witnessed him do a miracle personally, but the storm came and they got scared. And then they saw Jesus on the water and they were still scared, but they had just seen him. They have a history with him already. We have a history with him already. When we remember that we really do know him, we've really experienced those miracles and his miraculous power in our lives accurately, the promises and hope that originally filled us when we met him. Do you guys remember those moments when he's just supernaturally changed your heart, when he filled you with a hope when you were hopeless, when he met you in your place of need? All of those moments are all still true about him. Hope in him is 100% valid all the time, no matter what. Now, amazing that once again, when the disciples received him on the boat, they were instantly taken to the other side, even though they'd only gone halfway. So what is Jesus? Jesus told them, right? Jesus said, don't fear, don't be afraid. You know who I am. So Papa started speaking to me directly here, and he said, this is what I was saying to them, and this is what I'm telling you right now. While you're halfway, only halfway across, when you've got another whole half to go in your season of waiting and that you have are questioning the promises, when you're not feeling very hopeful, he said, don't engage with fear. You do know me. Remember my miraculous provision just a short time ago. You were convinced, remember? You do know me. You know me accurately. You know me. Who you know me to be is correct. You're not deceived. You're not, you didn't misunderstand my promises to you. You didn't put your hope in something false, in something that will fail you, in something that you didn't see correctly. You did see me correctly. You were right to put your faith in me. You were right to be convinced by what you saw of me then. He said, I displayed my goodness and miracle power to you then on purpose so that you would know me personally. It was my deliberate choice to reveal myself to you that way so you would know me, so that you would recognize me in the storm so that you would know that I'm with you and that you can trust me. You know me. You didn't get it wrong. You weren't misled. You didn't believe a false doctrine. You were not deceived. You personally witnessed and personally experienced inside yourself my reality. You know me. He said, I'll take you the rest of the way. He said, thank you for getting in the boat to cross your lake to the other side where you can receive my true comfort, the fullness of my love, my sustaining love. There's a level of my love that you haven't received yet from me. It's been here all along, but has been blocked by what you thought you had to do alone. But I heard your surrender. 
I heard the permission you gave me to stir the waters of your heart, and I will bring you the rest of the way. You've gone as far as you need, need in your own strength, in your own ability. A lot of us need to hear this right now. You've gone as far as you need to in your own strength, in your own ability. Receive me in your efforts today. Receive me in that place where you've been gripping the hope that you've felt slip away. Receive me there. I am your hope. I am your hope. Jesus is our hope. He is the person of hope. You won't need to hold on to me because I will be holding you. In my left hand, I cradle your head. In my right hand, I hold you close. I will hold you and I will carry you the rest of the way. This struggle you've been, been in, this part of the wilderness you've been walking in is coming to an end. I have come to take you the rest of the way. I will carry you to the promise of this land. Along the way, I'll tell you stories of this land is filled with milk and honey. I'll paint the picture for you and bring you samples of the fruit you'll taste. I will speak to you in your dreaming. I will speak to you in your thinking. I will speak to you in your resting. I will fill your moments with the sound of my voice. Your heart will know the feeling of my embrace and you will wonder how you haven't floated away. And one day, one day you'll look, look up and wonder, wondering how you ever made it to such a beautiful place. He said, my comfort comes quickly when you receive me in the middle of your moment. The village of comfort was on the other side of the lake. They were only halfway there. They received him in the boat and they were instantly there. My comfort comes quickly when you receive me in the middle of your moment. He's talking about that place where you've let the waters just smooth over. You don't want to look at that sunken treasure ship down there underneath the water anymore. He's saying, come, let me stir up the waters of your heart. The moment you receive me, you will be comforted in that spot, in that exact place. You don't have to wait, he said, to reach some far off place. You can know me in my true capacity right here, right now. Remember, don't be afraid. You know who I am. Don't be afraid. I'm the one walking on the waves. So incredible how the Holy Spirit speaks. Man, man. I have two final thoughts before we close up about this account of this story, okay? I, obviously, you know, this isn't the only, John isn't the only um, disciple who wrote about this, this, what happened on the water, when he was walking on the water. So why, why did the Holy Spirit lead me to John 6? I didn't, I didn't pick it for any other reasons, just where he led, it to, led me to. I noticed that in Matthew's account, which is, includes the part where Peter stepped out of the boat. Okay, it's the same story. It's the same time. They're speaking about the same event. But John doesn't, doesn't share that part. 
Matthew shares that Peter stepped out onto the water, which is an incredible story of its own. But I think the significance is that the Holy Spirit wants to clearly emphasize what God will do versus what man will do. The emphasis on this story is what God did when they just received him. It didn't have anything to do with us stepping out of the boat. He's saying there's, an, there's a grace right now. Just receive him in the middle of your storm. He's been emphasizing our reliance on him, and he's been shifting us away from that position of being so focused on what we need to do or how we need to position ourselves or what we try to do out of our own strength. He's been saying this is a time of maximum surrender, right? He's saying lean in now more than ever. John's story wraps with that. He ends with Jesus was walking on the water. We received him and we were instantly taken to the other side and instantly received comfort, the village of comfort. I believe that only John records that the disciples were instantly at the shores of their destination. The other, Matthew doesn't talk about that either. He doesn't include that detail. John does. I believe that it is because John, we know, is the one who is known as the one who Jesus loves, right? He's known as the lover, as the one who was just totally passionate and connected in his heart with Jesus, and he was most focused on intimacy with Jesus. I believe, and I would say that John was captivated with Jesus, totally captivated with Jesus. Whether the rest of their journey, the disciples and the boat, actually instantly passed by and time shifted, or John was simply unaware of the passage of time due to his own immersion in the love of God. The message is clear. We are being asked to receive the fullness of God's love through a new surrender in this season. So I'm going to end with this scripture again, 1 Peter 1.3, Passion Translation. It says, celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy for his foundation, fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Papa, we just say thank you today, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We just say thank you. Thank you for speaking in so many ways, through dreams, through words, through songs, through scriptures, through so many prophetic voices about your living and energetic hope that has already been freely given to us. Thank you for expressing your compassion, your heart, to just comfort us, to meet us in the middle of our lake, in the middle of our process, in the middle of our waiting. Thank you for expressing your heart so thoroughly to us. And so we just say that we will hear the word. We won't just be hearers of the word, though. We will act on this word. We will be doers of the word. And the doing in this case is sitting still. It's sitting in the waiting. And so we say we will surrender in a new level. We will let you stir up the waters of our heart in that place that you want to bring comfort. 
We want to taste a new surrender in that place. We want to taste what comes with surrender. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would move in each person's heart and that you would just flood over them right now. And even in the night when they're sleeping and when they're home in their own beds or in their own personal time, that you would just flood over them, that you would bring these words of this message today back to their remembrance, that you would show them signs, that you would give them dreams, that you would give them prophetic nudges and puzzle pieces all over the day, all throughout their personal life, that you would do what you did for me this past week and the way you spoke to me about this for them. Do it again, Lord. Do it again and then make it personal. It's all about the personal relationship with you. And I know you. this is an invitation from you for each one of these to experience you in a brand new way. So I just release courage. I release hope. And I release the, the um, expectancy, the expectancy of great things in the waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.